Happy Monday, listeners. Trigger warning, today Pink Salt is starting off your week with a light conversation about stalking. Jamie and Jake are the hosts of the podcast Strictly Stalking, where stalking victims get to tell their stories. So these two were guests in a class I took a while ago, and I thought they'd be an interesting pair to speak on business relationships. And while we do get into that a bit, we ended up really getting into the ins and outs of stalking. Who gets stalked, expectations of the stalker, and their own sensitivity and empathy around the topic as hosts, and a lot more. I've included their contact information in the show notes. If you or anyone you know has a story that you'd like to share, please get in contact with them. Thanks for tuning in, and if you like this episode, please like, subscribe, and leave a review. Talent is cheaper than table salt. What separates the talented individual from the successful one is a lot of hard work. Upon learning this quote, table salt became my symbolic reminder to keep up the hard work. This developed into pink salt, the hard work that goes into successful relationships. The idea for this podcast was born of my innate curiosity about intimacy and relationships, and I wanted to include the spectrum of relationships, intimate but also familial, professional, even individual relationships finances, food, faith, you name it. The relationships that take up space in our lives are endless, yet many of us feel societally imposed taboo when those relationships get difficult and maybe need some elbow grease. Pink Salt reminds us to have grace for the people and things around us when things don't go as easily as we pictured. I'm your host, Jacqueline Chantel. Let's get to work. Listen, subscribe, and leave a review. Thanks for having us on. How are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for being here. I was really looking forward to having you guys on. Yeah, we're, we're excited to join you. And, uh, you know, actually, you know, fans of the show and be able to connect how we did is a very interesting yeah. story, too. Um, and just fascinating to see other people like yourself really doing some amazing things in the podcast space. Yeah. Do you want to tell everybody how we met? I, I, Jamie, do you want to tell the story? I like to I like to <laughs> I think hijack it was the stories. How we how we met each other. No, uh, oh, no how, I, how we all met on this, on this, hinge. how we met Jacqueline. I think it was Hinge. <clears throat> hinge. We, we did met, not we met Jacqueline on Hinge. On hinge. Yeah, we did. We were, <laughs> I, I don't know where this is going. I don't know where this is going, but I, I think I want to oh jump off goodness. right now if that's cool. No, you know what? Because I, I just started dating this new guy and everyone's like, oh, how'd you guys meet? And I'm all Hinge. I mean, it's so like, I want to come up with something else, but also I guess honesty is good too. No, we can say we met on Hinge. That sounds okay. great. Okay. <laughs> you guys were hosting. No, you were guests in a class that I was taking about podcasts. Oh, that's right. It was not collaborative. Hinge. Yeah. Yeah. And then I said, "Do you want to be on my podcast?" And y'all were like, "Yeah." And I was like, "Got him." <laughs> oh, only only like five months later because yeah. we've been we've been evasive. And it's been a while. Scheduling but, issues. Yeah. Yeah, but it was in the middle of my season one and two, so yeah. it's not like there was much going on anyway. But that being said, how did you guys meet? Your podcast started in 2019, right? So how much before? How long had you guys known each other before then? And how did this podcast develop? 
Um, I think we knew each other for a year or two, maybe. I'm, I really have no idea. We, um, I think Jake found me on LinkedIn, which is creepy and weird, and um, hired me to cast one of his, one of the movies that he was producing for Lifetime. Um, and then, you know, we became friends from there and uh, decided to work together more um, because I'm brilliant and Jake needed me. Um, <laughs> I mean, she speaks the truth. I don't mind going to interrupt at this point. Just go ahead, Jane. Uh, no, and, and, um, and so I realized, like, I really wanted to do a podcast and, you know, I called him one day and I was like, Hey, like, I really want to do a podcast. Like everyone's already doing all the good murders. Like there's no murders left for me. Like I, you know, cause I listen to podcasts all the time. So everything I'm listening to, I'm like, well, I would have done that, but like someone just did it. Um, so Jake was like, well, you know, no one's doing any podcasts about stalking. And I'm like, stalking i don't even know what stalking is like, i don't know anything about that so i hang up on him um because <laughs> that's how i treat him uh no i hang up on him and i'm like okay whatever and then i'm starting to think about it i'm like wow so really a whole there's a whole entire crime that i don't know anything about like i don't i really don't know anything about stalking um i don't know you know how do you go to jail for stalking what's it like to be stalked i knew nothing about it so i started researching it and i was like okay like this is a serious issue um and then, you know, once we started doing the podcast, it really became more than like, I want to do a podcast, you know, then it became, um, you know, wanting to help people, wanting to raise awareness um, and, you know, getting to know the victims and survivors of stalking and, you know, seeing what they actually go through is, is horrific. And so, um, you know, now it's changed a little bit more into like, what can we do to help? What did you learn that podcast? that stalking is like had that question been answered yeah i mean for me like it's it, it's such a variety and like a number of different things what stalking is like you you can be stalked in a million different ways but the what it basically comes down to is the the pattern um so like if you were to step outside your house and find a cup of coffee with your nickname on it you'd be like, okay, awkward, right? Weird. But if you were to step outside your house every day for three years and find something new and you knew that it was from your stalker and like, there's a gift on your doorsteps, so your stalker knows where you live. Like that's terrifying. So it's like that pattern. And then it's also like the fear, um, that's installed, you know, from that. Mm, installed is an interesting word. Yeah. Uh, yeah, let's get back to that later. Um, <laughs> So yeah. How did you guys, how Jake, did you know who Jamie was when you reached out to her on LinkedIn? And did you guys know that you had a commonality in your interest for true crime? Well, who, who doesn't know who Jamie is? Number one, let's just start there. We can, we can backtrack that question. Uh, in terms of the commonality, I'm going to go ahead and tell this story. Um, so basically we were on set and Jamie normally buys gifts for people she works with apparently. And she bought me this uh, serial killer coloring book. Okay. And so all of a sudden I'm like, all right, this, this woman gets me. And we started like bonding from there. We had, we had just randomly had brought that information up and she found this and was able to connect on that level. So there's something about crime that's, that's fascinating to me. It's, it's how can someone do these things, these horrible things to other people and either not feel something, get away with it and just kind of carry on with their lives. And I think that even going back to like, what, you know, stalking from that standpoint, you know, what I learned is that there's so many different 
varieties in so many different ways and how stalking is actually unfortunately so misused in the lexicon now in terms of, oh, somebody's looking at my page, they're stalking me. Oh, it's such a trivial way that the term stalking or stalker is used that it actually does a huge disservice to those actually going through, you know, the severe trauma of being stalked. Uh, there's a statistic on your Instagram somewhere that is escaping me right now, but it's however many people are actually stalked in this country, which is an insane number. What is it? In term in terms of the percentage, in terms of like one out of I think every that six there was, women, you guys posted an actual number. There, there's there's like a millions. Co- yeah, there's a couple different. There's a couple different. Seven point five um, million people is the actual current number, but I think it's much higher. To be fair, I think there's a lot of people that don't come forward, and I think that statistically speaking, um, you know, I, I don't want to make a, a guesstimate, but just by who we've had on the show, based on you know just kind of random experiences that I've talked to other people on, I, I think it's far greater. Do you think that there are some people who like wouldn't even label it as that? We we have many guests on the show that come forward, and once they listen to the show, they start to like relive a certain layer of trauma that they've suppressed over mm-hmm. time. Because you know, truthfully, Jacqueline, a lot of people go through these things and they don't necessarily have the support system at the time to understand it. Like even, you know, their closest relatives or their significant others or their friends after a while, they're kind of tired of hearing about it sometimes, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And they don't, they don't, they're like, Oh, that again, that again. So what people tend to do, especially, you know, stalking victims, AKA survivors that, yeah, exactly. They sort of remove themselves and don't even talk about it anymore, even if it's still going on. So we've had cases like that where people are just like, I just was all alone. I had to take care of myself. Even the police obviously wouldn't give them the support they need. So that, that happens really often, unfortunately. That kind of uh, lends itself to the next question, kind of in an answer, which is, I was going to ask about the anonymity that people might want to keep and like how you find the people that you have on your podcast. But it sounds like there might be a good portion of these victims who haven't talked about it and are excited, maybe excited isn't the word, but, you know, like ready to share and happy to be asked to talk about it. Can you speak to that, either of you? Yeah, I mean, a lot of our guests do remain anonymous and it's um, mostly for safety issues because they're still being stalked. Um, You know, your stalker doesn't normally just go away or stop stalking. Um, And if they do stop, maybe it's only for a little while. Like you'll never know if you, if you've been stalked, they could come back in 10 years and continue to stalk you um, unless they're dead or in prison for life. And even the ones in prison will try to continue to stalk you. You know, it's not something that they just stop doing um, very often. And if they do stop, that usually means that they've moved on to somebody else. So a lot of our guests um, do choose to remain anonymous and that's fine. We're not trying to like out anybody or anything like that. So um, the anonymity of it is great because um, it lets people be real honest and, you know, real open about it and not fear any repercussions from their stalkers. Um, and, you know, what's more important is for them to tell their story so that other people can, you know, learn what they did or, um, you know, figure out a new way to get help or, you know, any kind of advice or, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, and we also never say the stalker's name. 
unless mm-hmm. it's a really high profile case or the stalker's dead or in prison for life, because there's no reason to give the stalker that kind of attention um, for it because it's not the stalker story. And it's also, um, you know, we don't want to perpetuate the stalker being like, oh, so now they're talking about me. Like, this is great. You know, if the stalker happens to, to hear it. Um, and as far as finding guests for the show, a lot of people listen and come forward, which is great. And then, you know, I kind of scour the news sites a lot too, um, looking for people who are already speaking out about it. Um, because it is hard to want to speak out about it. A lot of people just, they don't want to, like, once you talk about something, then it's really real, especially if you talk about it on a platform like that. Um, but what we found luckily is that when people do speak out about it, they usually, you know, it's a form of therapy. It feels really good. And they realize that they're helping other people. And so in the end, it usually does help, but it, it takes, you know, you have to be ready to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Have you guys found, um, when you, after so many of these traumatizing stories that you've heard and the myriad of ways that people can be uh, introduced to each other and then a stalker situation uh, sort of like ignites. Like we talked about, we were talking about meeting on Hinge as kind of like a joke, but especially romantically for either of you, are there, is there like this barrier now that is sort of built in terms of do I trust these people? And I don't know that that seems to be like a bit of paranoia for me, at least after listening to some of the episodes. Um, not not for me at all. Like, I don't really take like Jake is like super like, oh, like we have to change our passwords every three months and like freaks out about everything. I'm just kind of like whatever. Like, I don't like to worry about things that haven't happened, which you know, is either good or bad. I don't know. Um, but I, you know, I'm, I'm more into like live my life for today and, you know, do what makes myself happy. So yes. And I did meet someone on him. He's, he's super cool. Um, so far (laughs) he hasn't, he hasn't (laughs) killed me or stuffed me in a trunk of a car yet, but you know, it could happen. Um, but no, I don't have, I mean, I have certain other barriers up from like shitty past relationships, but other than that, like, no, I don't, I'm not paranoid about it. I don't really worry about it. Um, you know, it, it, if something is going to happen, it's, you know, I'll take care of it when it happens. Well, this is where Jamie and I, there's like a fork in the road in terms of how we approach things. Um, I would say that from my perspective, I try my best not to worry about things that haven't occurred. However, there's certain things that I had set up before the podcast. And now during the podcast, Jacqueline, as you said, when you hear these stories, especially when it comes to socializing, dating, who you led in your life, what kind of boundaries and barriers, um, that's one element to this in terms of the domestic part, in terms of anybody in your circle. But also, too, is there's a huge amount of threats from the outside as well. Complete strangers, you know, cyber stalking, things like that. People you've never met that happen to maybe be in your social media circle, people that follow you, people that, you know, create these fake accounts that basically try to draw your viewers in, in order to monopolize or, you know, get money or whatever scams that are cooking on that. Those things are very, very rare. Oh, oh, no, they are. I mean, we can talk to statistics all day. However, I agree with you. They're they're rare, but also they do happen. So for me, it's more about, um, you know, 
when someone asks me about safety and everything else like that, I try not to send this like fear factor element into them because to be fair, anybody who knows me, who knows that I do the show and who listens to the show pulls away enough from there that I don't really have to say much at all, to be fair. I mean, most of the people on the show, you hear these stories and granted, these are mostly severe stories of stalking and of trauma and the things that, that I was talking about before in terms of security and this and that it's, it's lighter, but you know, from my perspective, I think there are certain things you can put into place and just kind of not open the world to all of your business. That's me personally. Preventative care. <laughs> exactly. I'm, I'm way into preventive. Maybe it's the Virgo in me. I don't know because I don't follow astrology. Maybe I should, uh, you, know, you and Jamie can maybe tell me otherwise, but um, that being said is that, yeah. So those are the things that I tend to, you know, uh, put some time into in order to, a lot to of time. well, I mean, uh, enough that it, it, that's why we balance each other out very well. As I said before, yeah. we need, we need that kind of yin and yang. I mean, Jamie, you know, the best way we've described this before is, you know, Jamie jumps in a pool and then I check if there's water in it. You know what I'm saying? It's like, that's <laughs> truthfully, that's the best probably analogy we have for our relationship. She jumps first before. She oh, absolutely! Water, yeah, oh my gosh! Sure. Yeah. It, and, the word and nothing involved. bad usually happens, so I'm always right. <laughs> Make sure that it's filled up. <laughs> he gets it filled up before you before you have a chance to hit the bottom. I mean, it's hard being me. I'm always right, and you know, I have to. I mean, it's I, I constantly prove Jake wrong. It's you're it's you're a very private person too. You're, you're humble and private, and it's just you know, it's just you don't really like to put yourself out there, which is cool. You know what I'm saying? Right. You're like a, a kind of a bookworm, stay at home, you know, cuddle with the dogs. Which actually, that is true. Um, that that word installed is like for me. I worry plenty. I don't think I've ever. I need to maybe meditate on Jamie saying. I don't like to think about things that haven't happened yet because that I could use a bit of um, maybe we all can, but there's plenty that I already worry about without needing to listen. Like I am not a true crime person at all. I don't want to watch it. I don't want to listen to it. I haven't, I worry enough. My imagination goes on its own without installing more to be, upset about or worried about. So I just wonder where that comes from for each of you, what your, where that interest comes from. It's a good question. Um, yeah. I, I think for me, it's like it, certain aspects of true crime are probably something that I wouldn't do. Um, I mean, push me far enough, who knows, but you know, it's like, it's, it's interesting. It's like, you know, I've obviously never killed anyone and I wouldn't want to, but I find it fascinating the people that do like if we can study them enough, like can we is there what makes them do these horrible things? Like if we can study them enough, can we stop them? Can we is it something that we can do at birth um, or in the womb? Is there something wrong in their brains? Is there is it you know nature versus nurture? Like there's so many unanswered questions where, you know, we have a lot of research, but not enough, you know, because we can't we can't you know, research someone when they come out of the womb and then be like, this person's probably going to kill people. I mean, sometimes we have ideas that they will or that they'll become a serial killer or whatever, but, um, you know, the research is, is lacking. And so it's, it's kind of fascinating, like what, how we can, like, how can we do that research? Like, what can we do? And so just the unknown aspect of true crime is really interesting to me, like why people do what they do and 
mm-hmm. you know, and how, you know, if I ever need to bury a body, like I, I got that shit on lockdown. <laughs> that, <laughs> the, the nature versus nurture thing reminds me of, uh, have you ever seen, we need to talk about Kevin. Oh no, I haven't. I keep thinking oh, you have that. to see it. It's so, do you know what it's about? No, I can't remember. I think I saw like a trailer for it. So it's, it's Tilda Swinton, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and it's about her relationship with her son, who is, uh, like a school shooter, but he does it with a bow and arrow. I don't think that gives anything away. (laughs) You wouldn't. Yeah. So it's just about her, like internal struggle with kind of knowing from really from his inception that like something was off. Yeah. So it's like her as a mother specifically with him, because there's another kid uh, is like off and uh, there's very little dialogue. um, But I don't know. It's, it's that it's like, I wonder if the nature part sometimes is like these stories of mothers who go crazy and like kill their kids, which is tragic. But after I watched that movie, I was like, maybe there's something to that. Well, that's how it happens (laughs) in the animal world. I mean, it it does. If if an animal has a baby that is not right, they do kill them off. You know, (laughs) I'm not saying that humans should do that, but yeah, you know, nature versus nurture is a, it's really interesting. And I think that many parents uh, do know when their children are baby babies, they know that something's different, something's off, you know? So, but then at that point, how are you going to get, like, where are you going to go and be like, you know, I think my kid might turn into a serial killer. And some people have done that <laughs> and they can get the help, but a lot of parents aren't really going to do that. But yeah. It's just fascinating. What about you, Jay? And they don't want to admit it either. Yeah. Right. I wouldn't. Well, I actually agree with you along those lines in terms of like the psychology behind this is like, how does someone become this? How does this sort of seep into to their being? And even, you know, from that standpoint, you know, being able to like chromosomally test or, you know, do some sort of psychological profile on a fetus would be fascinating, obviously. Um, but, you know, obviously certain things aren't developed to a certain point, so you don't know how things are going to play out. But I think there are so many things now today and people analyzing this stuff that it's pretty easy to see if a child's going to be have, have behavioral problems very early um, in terms of acting out, in terms of doing certain things. But I think that looking at the isolation thing, like what they do in private is probably far more important in many ways than what they do in public. Because a lot of times you, know, you see these stories of like the Jeffrey Dahmers who was spending so much time isolated, you know, acting out in public, but spending so much time by himself doing certain things, sort of developing certain tactics that would allow him to function privately kind of under the radar like that. So um, from a true crime standpoint, I am definitely fascinated in the psychology, but also too, I think that, you know, the next layer, even with what we do with the podcast is being able to give voices a a platform, you know, basically be able to have them share their stories and their awards. There's nothing I can bring to their stories other than give them the opportunity to be able to come forward and speak, which is, you know, I feel very blessed and grateful for that. But I think also too, um, to be able to hear this, these firsthand accounts have, have really shaped the way that I approach true crime in terms of how I see not only victims of true crime, but how I see perpetrators, how I see activity, how I see police response in this, 
you know, Jamie and I have covered well over a hundred stories by now. So there is, there are the, there are these very clear patterns of where people can get support, where they can't get support and ultimately, you know, how much trauma they have to deal with. It's just, it's remarkable. So it's really opened my eyes in terms of how, you know, there's a certain layer of removal from true crime. It's like, oh, it's, you know, whatever, you know, it's, 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 you know, kind of trivialized and, and, and people are kind of re-victimized in, in unfortunate ways, but it's really changed my perspective on how I view victims of crime and how they're portrayed and unfortunately exploited in the media oftentimes. Can you talk about that exploitation and uh, where they find support and where they can't, uh, you touched on some, you mentioned it, but can you yeah, talk at, about it a little further? Of course, in terms of exploitation, um, unfortunately, what tends to happen with so many, so much media content is it focuses on the perpetrators. It focuses like I, most people can tell you, to be fair, um, you know, 10 facts about Ted Bundy, maybe 30, maybe 50 or whatever. But can you tell me three things about one of his victims? You know, it, it's really you look at that standpoint and how they are not being focused on and how their lives are not being basically put forward as more than just for lack of a better term, a body count in so many of these, these you know, programs and things like that. And I know there are certain ways and certain POVs that you have to enter into these on a story level, but um, there seems to be a certain fascination with this, which I think in our own way, we're all fascinated by why these people do what they do. There's no very, it's arguable, but I think that most people are. But I think you go even further into that is like finding um, in terms of the level of support, there are groups out there that will help most people if they're dealing with some form of like, you know, uh, crime, basically, you know, whether it be on a therapeutic level, whether it be on a civil level um, from law enforcement to everything else. But it really does depend on where you're at, how much information you have and who basically who you're talking to at that point, you know, you can get, most people think they'll get support from their family and then they don't. And then they go to the police and they get support from the police. And most people think they'll get support from the police and they go to the police and they don't get support there, but they get support with their family. It's, it's a weird kind of back and forth, especially when it comes to stalking survivors. So it's never, there's never a very clear cut pattern in that, but most people can turn to different resources and different organizations, at least in the stalking world that we've dealt with. We've dealt with about, I don't know, probably Jamie, probably eight or nine at this point that we've dealt with. We've, you know, cross promoted. We've kind of, you know, worked with in order to get that word out. And, and to be fair, a lot of our guests who have come forward have their own organizations or they are their own advocates because they've had to be, unfortunately. A couple things about that. Uh, stalking survivors implies that there are people who did not survive it. And so, what are some of the stories there, but also what is the main reason or pattern behind a family not being a support system? I mean, stalking often ends in murder. I mean, what there isn't, there isn't really another, you know, ending that the stalker is looking for surprisingly. Um, I mean, maybe they think that they want to be with the person or whatever it is, but that's, not going to happen. And so the stalker does often try to murder, kidnap, you know, it, it, it ends in, um, you know, bad shit. Um, so those are not the survivors, but I mean, also like if you're just in general surviving, being stalked, like that's, you know, that's surviving, um, because stalking doesn't usually 
like I said, it doesn't end until the stalker is dead or you're dead or they're in prison or they've moved on to somebody else. And if they move on to somebody else, they're likely to come back. Do Um, stalkers, do you think that most of them, I don't know how you would know this, but like in your experience doing this show, are they stalking with the intent to kill or is there this like fantasy that they're stalking to sort of like feed if that makes sense and then it sort of turns in a direction i mean i don't think that we have any way to know why they're stalking it's an obsession and it's an addiction Mm -hmm. um it's not something that they can just stop doing on their own and i think it just it, it eventually comes to a head where they don't know what where the soccer doesn't know what to do maybe. Um, and I'm just kind of theorizing because no one really knows. I don't think that there's been enough research on the actual stalkers to know and everybody stalks for a different reason, but, you know, I think it just kind of comes to a head. It's, it's, you know, they don't in their brain, like what else do you do? Or they want to kill the person and themselves like be together in the afterlife or like whatever it might be. So, I mean, I think that we can theorize all day on why people stalk. Um, yeah. But I, I think it in the end, sometimes it does just culminate in in murder, whether it's intentional or not. The most common thing is that stalkers have their own sort of world that they live in and they create this fantasy narrative. And, you know, it's it's very odd sometimes, too, because they put the expectations a lot on the people that they're stalking. And when that person doesn't meet those expectations or they delineate from a narrative that that the victim or the the survivor doesn't even know about that's when so many things happen between them in terms of like not fulfilling something that they can't even you know understand or comprehend because the stalker this is all going on in their mind right. and those it's a very dangerous place to be in because there's there's no limits in that fantasy world. That that's mm-hmm. the problem. There's no boundaries. There's you don't know what's going on. And you may never know what's going on. Unfortunately, so many people tend to be at the receiving end of the abuse and the trauma and everything else that comes with it. So it, it's a very difficult thing to really understand what's going on inside their heads um, in so many of these cases. Yeah, expectations in a relationship in general are dangerous, let alone if it's a relationship that you don't even know exists because it only exists in someone else's head. That's very true. Insane. That's so like outside of my realm of comprehension. Well, that's why we're here. Yeah. Um so there's there was something that I read about you guys wanting to or part of the advocacy for this is changing some of the laws around stalking. And I'm curious, what are some of the differences that you found between like state and federal laws and what have you been able to manage so far since you've started? Well, stalking is a crime in all 50 states, but how it's interpreted by each division of law enforcement is completely different. Again, as I said before, when you go into like a police station, a lot of times people think when they, they live in a big city, let's say, that they'll get the support they need. They they don't often. Sometimes we'll have people that go through are being stalked in a town of like a thousand people and they get, you know, police that drive by their house every night just to check on to make sure they're OK. So I think from a law standpoint, I think it's a combination of the laws are, are one thing, but it's kind of how 
law enforcement responds to the laws if they're potentially being broken and how they investigate stalking when they're dealing with a stalking survivor in the moment. I think that's one of the things is that so and we've heard this even from the law enforcement, how they don't know how to deal with a stalking survivor, how they don't understand that, like in terms of what's the number one response if somebody's stalking you online or cyber stalking, delete your social media accounts. How realistic is that in 2022? Honestly, like how, how not even if you run a business, but it's it's completely unrealistic. Or 2023. <laughs> well, now you get a little ambitious there. Are we going to get there? Let's, let's hope. Well, it's so, also, that's it's also think, kind right? of like this backwards who is getting sort of like reprimanded almost, you know, it's like this person is completely unresponsible for what's happening to them. And then they have to bear the consequences kind of, you know, well, and they take that with them. I mean, every place they go, you're talking about before in terms of where they get support and why, you know, certain family or friends or, you know, they may not get support from them is, you know, it's like, bringing somebody to the party who basically has you know trouble walking in with them basically you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. you know there's going to be problems and i think it's unfortunate because when a stalker enters someone's life they affect you know personal life professional life um significant others i mean everyone in their world carries the burden of what the stalker is doing to them and it's significantly traumatic and it Unfortunately, there's so few places for people to turn for that initially. Once they get into and start to research, yeah, there are groups that can help. But a lot of times it is the groups that people go to because they can't get support from the police or because, you know, they're dealing with a certain level of trauma. So um, every, you know, to be fair, a lot of people have gotten so much information just from our podcast because these are people who have lived through this. You know, it's it's we're not talking about people who have gone through that. They're they're telling us, they're telling the audience what they've gone through from beginning to end. Most of them didn't know anything about stalking. You know, they, what, where do we learn about stalking primarily if we haven't been stalked from TV and movies? How mm-hmm. accurate is that? Well, apparently not very. I mean, you you <laughs> talk to I mean, seriously, like what is the most extreme examples of stalkers usually are the one with exception of you, you know, the recent show you is, you know, literally people who stick out like a sore thumb, you know, you see like older movies, like the bodyguard or something like that. You know, it's, it's like this guy who, who literally stands up from God physically, as well as socially, as well as, you know, the pictures in the locker and just like, open, you know, like, I mean, the, these are all like tropes that we're used to in terms of what stalking is and what stalking means, but we've got to kind of pull back that veneer um, and that, that layer and kind of see what this really is. And it really oftentimes starts with somebody, you know, like really well, like a domestic relationship could be a family member, could be anything like that, but it's kind of identifying what are the trademarks of being stalked and a stalker, and then knowing how to deal with them from there. That's a good point about it coming from within the family. Unfortunately, there's so many bad things that happen to people that happen to them from people that they already know. And you could say that about so many crimes. It's reminding me of a podcast. What's the podcast about this, like the stepdad or the mom who had like a bunch of husbands and then the stepdad, like there's an, it's John something. They just made oh, a dirty, show. John. Dirty, John. dirty John. Yeah. Yeah. We actually had her. We actually had uh, two of, uh, we had Deborah Newell and Tara Newell on the podcast uh, before 
sharing their story as well. And um, yeah, that they, they actually uh, fought to get the coercive control bill in California put forth, um, which basically makes that a crime in terms of using things, manipulation, sort of gaslighting, uh, which mm-hmm. is a term that comes up often in most of our, our episodes, um, that kind of behavior uh, to make that uh, a law to uh, against that. So how do you prove that behavior? It is a significant pattern of abuse. And oftentimes there usually is a combination of stuff if you have, let's say, digital proof, let's say certain things that you need to put forward in terms of on, let's say, online emails, texts, phone calls. A lot of times you have to have that kind of evidence. Yeah. yeah, exactly. In order to build a case. I mean, to, to be fair with most crimes today, you kind of, he said, she said, she said, she said, he said, he said, it, it's, that's very difficult to prove if, you know, most people leave a social media footprint um, with something, you know, evidence in some, when we use our phones for everything. That's helpful, I guess. <laughs> make, well, sure no, I mean, you text, make sure you text all of your conversations now no more calling well no i mean it's, it's that, well even the calls you can get you know you can actually get a court order to get those in terms of you know uh, oh yeah oh yeah i mean depending upon my where, calls how far, are being recorded oh yeah well they have they i mean literally every phone company i mean all this the stuff, little bit conspiracy theory that jake I, oh, is dipping no, into it's, uh, trust me it's well how, how, think about phone records that come up like that. Okay. When, when you're doing a civil case or a criminal case, I mean, they, they, this information is out there, whether somebody's tapping into it, whether somebody has access to it legally or otherwise it's out there. And that, that that's, I mean, everything we do through our phones is there's a chance that it's, it's being stored somewhere. I'm not saying it's there's no be proof used. of that anywhere. So it's well, kind there, of more there, conspiracy. I don't, I, I, I don't have not proof something of that people would need to worry about. I, do, I don't ever. have proof of it. I don't have proof of it, but we all know is that in terms of like having that information, let's just assume that you open up your, you know, use a phone, you open up the portal of the world to, to things. I'm just, well, no, Jamie's not no, worried about it. Nobody, no, Jamie's nobody, not worried about no it. Companies out there have the time to like record every single person's phone call like that's not a realistic thing it's it's more conspiracy theory that is perpetuated through myth i'll i'll live in my myth and you can live in your reality okay um the thing that you said jake about um people coming into the party this is more of a metaphor but coming into the party and trouble following them Mm -hmm. there is this sense of like empathy that both of you kind of have to have for both sides of this because you don't necessarily know what the trouble is or where it's coming from. So I wonder if you've always had that, or if there's this new perspective that's maybe developed where you maybe are that I'm sticking with the metaphor, the person at the party or a person at this party. And then there's this other guy coming in or girl coming in, who's like bringing the trouble, but it's not necessarily their fault or actually trouble or the way that you perceive it or whatever. That's kind of a question fully thought out, but I think that you follow. So, I mean, I think that human nature is, is to be empathetic um, to people going through things or experiencing any kind of trauma. Um, But I think that like, for me, you know, having the podcast, I've been able to hone in on that a little bit more and um, develop the, empathy that I would need to do, um, you know, to host this podcast and, and to talk to people that deal with so much trauma. 
Yeah. I ask cause I'm definitely guilty of being like, they're bring, of course, like this person bringing in trouble. On my front, I tend to be a pretty open ear when it comes to people's problems, which is good or bad for me. But I think that ultimately, um, I, I, I'm pretty sympathetic. I would say I'm pretty compassionate when it comes to people's dilemmas, especially people in my life or that enter my life. But I think one of the one of the conflicts that come up, um, and, and truth, truthfully, oftentimes in stalking stories, is that. When they come in, um, a lot of times the stalker is so clever and so, clever and so cunning that they're able to kind of turn the tables on their own victims and their own survivors and basically sort of uh, play head games with them and, mm-hmm. and sort of turn those tables. So it makes them doubt their own perception of what's going on. Oftentimes, this happens so many times, but I think that in terms of like the level of sympathy and, and empathy, it's it's really just kind of when you hear these stories, it's really hard not to feel these things. And it's really hard not to go through in in no matter how remote you are from the situation, uh, you know, the level of pain and trauma that these people are going through. It's just, you know, it, it, it's it's a burden for the people to live it and by by fraction to listen to it. I mean, I know there's a certain level of, you know, traumatic sort of healing that comes with it from both the speaker and the people listening, but it's also, um, it, it's a weight. There, there's a weight listening to these people's stories and some, they're all over the, all over the map, to be fair. I mean, some of them are, you know, uh, they start off really, really, you know, um, uh, small and then they turn big and some of them start out big and they get justice. It's just, it's all over the map. But you, when you hear the stories out of these people's mouths from their own you know, the words from their own mouths, it's just, it's a huge impact when you listen to it. And have you ever listened to a story and found holes in the story or questioned any part of it? Or are you always sort of like giving the benefit of the doubt that that's just something that they maybe blacked out or does that happen at all? I mean, I think that you know, before we have a guest on the show, we talk to them a lot. We get to know them. Um, you know, we try to establish the pattern of stalking um, so that we can, you know, put it into a timeline and tell the story in a, you know, in a timeline sense of way so that people can easier understand it. Um, you know, and sometimes that pattern isn't there for everybody that we talk to. Maybe it's just beginning and they just, you know, we help them out with, you know, who, who to go to, where to seek help or, um, or, you know, maybe, um, they've forgotten parts of it. So we help them to remember. I mean, you can't remember everything that's happened to you in the last 10 years, you know, unless you've been writing it down and, you know, stalking goes 10, 20 years, whatever. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And so it's like, you know, sure there, we might, there might be a hole somewhere in the story, but that's just because, you know, we need to fill it in. We need to talk to them and, you know, get to know them and find, um, you know, their memories and their stories. Cause a lot of times you block trauma out too. Yeah. Yeah. There, there, there's so many ways that, you know, when we think to approach these is, is that survivor stories are all not always, um, linear. They're not always, you know, clear there's, there's different pockets as, as Jamie said, in terms of how people, how trauma brings out certain things. I mean, we've had people on the show that start to remember things as they're, as they're saying, yeah. it, you know, as they, as they go mm-hmm. through, there's a certain level of sensitivity. And I think that, you know, even from, 
you know, we try to get this across is not everything is going to have a nice, pretty bow on it. And there's a lot of times the expectations, especially in, in the true crime world, um, that there's going to be kind of a one and done. There's going to be some sort of resolution or satisfaction. But, you know, oftentimes they don't get that. They're, as Jamie said, they're still being stalked sometimes 10, 20 years down the road. And I think that ultimately this is one of the challenges that we have with the show is having to jump into a lot of things and kind of just go along with the stories and with everything that's going on and kind of knowing that sometimes things may not add up or may not make sense to people casually listening, but that's not our place to say, this is the, this is our guest story and this is for them to, to go forward. And it's, again, it's not always going to be clean and neat, but our job is basically to sort of give them the platform and, you know, kind of embrace our own advocacy to do so and, and kind of, you know, again, package it within the true crime realm, because that's why people will listen. They'll go in on the engaging and entertainment level, but, you know, we're able to use their words as education as well, which is something that is not that, um, I guess you would say it's not as common in the true crime space as, as in other places that you get your podcast from. That, that makes me wonder, like, why, who is the audience of true crime and who is the audience for specifically a podcast where you are listening to the, just the victim story almost in some ways it sounds like where you're sort of giving that victim a a platform for a cathartic experience i think a lot of people listening have been through trauma whether whether it's childhood trauma stalking trauma some kind of abuse, domestic, um, you know, strangers, what, whatever it is. Like, I think that a lot of people that listen to, to true crime have been through some type of trauma. And so they're looking to try to explain it, understand it, um, you know, not feel alone, not feel isolated by it. And so that's why I think a lot of people listen to the stories. And then, of course, there's other people that, you know, they just... It, fascinated by it is kind of shitty, but you know, they're fascinated by it. They want to, they want to understand it, even though they haven't been through it. So I think that a lot of true crime, especially listening to the survivor stories is trying to understand it. And then also, you know, you want to know how people survive just in case, right? Like, so if you're locked in the trunk of a car and you're being kidnapped, like I've watched enough true crime that like, I think in pretty much every car, there's like some little button somewhere, right? And so you can like press it and jump out. Um, what that's what happens in lifetime movies. I'm not sure, but no, but really like, I think, you know, there's that just in case, then there's like the understanding and then there's like not wanting to be alone in those thoughts. Like if you've been through trauma. Yeah. I also wonder how much of it is like our world is relatively easy compared to centuries ago when we were actually using our animal instincts. And is that something that people sort of get a rush from listening to and watching? Do you, are you talking about in terms of on a, like sort of a primal level about mm -hmm. those things versus like that we're caught up in the like cerebral sort of yeah. situation? Well, I mean, it's like, if you listen to Strictly Stalking, um, if you've come into it 
and you have trivialized stalking or joke about stalking or anything else like that, most of the time, people that come out of it change their tune pretty quickly. Um, you enter these things and you you see the real impact of what it's like to be stalked. And I think that when you were asking Jacqueline before about who listens to, to who, uh, sorry, let me get this out. Who listens to true crime? It's like trying to figure out you know, there's all kinds of true crime, to be fair. I mean, it's not it's a pretty now at this point, it's a pretty diverse um, sector of, of podcasts. Um, it's a very popular sector, but it's very it's also very diverse in, in its approach. Um, so um, the <laughs> I, I can't not acknowledge Cabo. Sorry, uh, Jamie's dog in the background. Um, so basically, the finding, you know, where your place is in the podcast world. I mean, people can say, oh, I'm a true crime fan. That could mean a lot of different things at this point, to be fair. You know what I'm saying? Like ours obviously is about awareness and advocacy and, and basically giving the platform to share guest stories. Sometimes people come at, come to the podcast for that, you know, fascination basically of, of wanting to get close to a crime without actually having experienced it. Other people have experienced crimes and are, have gone through things and they want to kind of heal and other people just, you know, kind of go in for entertainment to be fair. Um, you know, hearing these stories about uh, turmoil and uh, danger that they want to, they want to get close to. Um, in, in talking to some people about, uh, you know, that I was having you guys on and about the podcast. Um, one of the questions that came up from someone is, oh, I wonder if they have any, uh, male victims. And then I saw that you have like a bunch. So I wondered, um, if that was surprising to you, how maybe what the biggest surprise was, if there are any between, you know, the gender, the, the, I guess the, the expectation that this only happens to women or mostly happens to women, if that was a thing for you or not. I think that, that people do often think that it only happens to women and that's why more men don't come forward. Um, and I don't, I don't think men are taken as seriously if they're being stalked by a woman, uh, even though, you know, they should be, it's obviously the same type of trauma and it can end in the same way. Um, but I think that, yeah, I mean, I think most people don't realize how many men are actually being stalked just because they're, they don't want to come forward. It's, it's like, you know, men are supposed to be strong and whatever, and like a woman stalking you. And so I think that that's our society at play. Um, unfortunately, I, I think that, you know, our, it, within our society, we see women as weaker and men as stronger. And so if a woman's stalking you, you should just be able to get over it. And then, you know, the other side of that is um, we've had a lot of people say that like the police will be like, oh, or their friends will be like, oh, what did you do to her to make you stalk her? Like to make her stalk you? Like, what did you do to her? Like, it's very victim blame me for men. It's victim blame me on both sides, but I think more so for men, like, oh, you must've been so great that now she's stalking you. Like, it's kind of, it, it's kind of weird like that. That's a yeah, really fascinating like a point. Double oh, standard. So, yeah. Well, that's a fascinating point because it's like saying, um, you know, when, when, when women it's, oh, wow. That's really interesting because, you know, we, we talk oftentimes too about uh, sexual assault on, on our show that, that has, you know, come up in certain episodes and how much um, 
female victims of sexual assault get blamed or they get judged or they get re-victimized. Well, what did you do to prompt this? Or what did you do to, you know, why were you doing this? Why were you wearing this? You know what I'm, you know what I'm saying? In terms of, you know, things that, that have no impact or have no bearing on someone else's activity or, um, you know, a, a crime, basically someone committing a crime. But when it comes to men and they come forward on this level, um, it's like trying to find a way to get into, um, you know, them being the perpetrator, as you said before, them, what did you do to her? So that's a very interesting perspective in that way of how that's kind of turned, even when it comes to like stalking as well. Um, you know, most of the people that we have on the show, it's not the women have not like, what did you do to them? It's more about, well, you're putting yourself out there the same way. Well, if you're putting all those pictures on, on social media, you should just take those down. So it, it's kind of the same sort of layer or level of that in terms of the, the sexism, in terms of how each gender is approached when it comes to assault, when it comes to stalking, when it comes to those. So I, just, I don't know. I just thought that was really fascinating what you said about that, Jamie. Yeah. And maybe like there are men who would come forward, but they are afraid of being looked at as a perpetrator. That's actually, that's, that's true as well. I think um, in terms of, you know, not being able to handle their business, being seen as a perpetrator and um, how that can flip on them. So yeah, each, each gender has a different layer of uh, issues when it comes to reporting any of these crimes. Yeah. You guys seem to have a pretty like fair amount of both guests of both genders, male identifying and female identifying. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Oh, go ahead. Okay. We, I think, you know, most people are ready to talk when they come to us. Um, and so whether man or woman, like, I think people just hit a point where they're like, okay, we're ready to talk. And then, and then that's kind of when they come on the show. Um, and we do want to, portray both sides of it. So we do try to get an an accurate read of both. Yeah. Well, for the end, let's bring it back to you two. Do you, uh, are there any like points of conflict that have ever come up? We talked about how Jamie's so good at making the decisions and you're so good at laying the, the, the preventative care groundwork, Jake, is there anything that ever comes up or is it any, you know, there's conflict in, I think there's conflict in any um, relationship, especially business. Um, but I think we solve it. We solve things fairly well. Um, Jake knows that I'm always right. And so we go with my decisions 100% of the time um, because Jake doesn't can't make decisions. <laughs> no, um, I mean, yeah, kind of. But but no, I, I think that, you know, there's conflict in, in any any relationship. There's conflict with neighbors. There's, you know, um, because no one's ever going to see eye to eye, but I, I think that that's important. I think conflict is important in relationships. I think that that's how things move ahead. I think that's how things grow. Um, that's how you grow as a business, a company, as a person, um, is you have that conflict, you learn from it, you solve it in an adult manner and that's it. Do you find that there are, I don't know, like the layers to having started off as a actually pretty new friendship, I wasn't expecting you to say that you'd only known each other for a year or so before the podcast started, but to go from friends to then you said a business relationship. Um, 
how does that sort of change the friendship? Um, or does it? I don't think it really did for us. Cause I mean, we started out like working with each other. Um, I don't think that our, I don't think it's really changed at all. Um, I'm pretty open. I'm pretty like open book. Like what you see is what you get. Um, and so I've just kind of been like that, I think. I don't know. I don't know if Jake has uh, other thoughts pertaining to that. But um, yeah, I mean, sure, things things grow and change. But um, overall, I think that, you know, it's been it's it's been great. <laughs> yeah, no, I, th- I think the evolution of our relationship, um, it's even interesting, Jacqueline, you said that in terms of we kind of we kind of bonded pretty quickly, to be fair, in terms of professional. We both have a very similar professional perspective when it comes to approaching people, projects, um, you know, a proactive approach. As I said before, you know, Jamie is like, go, go, go. And I'm a little bit more. I, I spend a lot of time in development. Um, I like you know to get saying? things done. Yeah. Jamie's like a digital camera and I'm like, like, uh, like the old, uh, take it to the photo mat kind of situation, you know, <laughs> wait three days for your pictures to come back. But regardless, um, is that we both have similar sensibilities, but we're both very differing, but we, we have a really strong and fluid, just kind of you know, it's almost like the back. Yeah. The back office to our relationship is, is really strong. And also, um, if we have a conflict, we can communicate it to each other relatively quickly and resolve it, you know, and then there's always going to be tension. There's always going to be things that come up, but tr- to be fair, it's, it's usually for the greater good. And the kind of stuff we get stuck on usually to be fair is kind of like trivial small time things, um, yeah. in terms of how someone files a, you know, a, a piece of information or a spreadsheet or where we, you know, how many folders that, that I need for my emails, whereas Jamie likes just the inbox, um, <laughs> the you know, those kind of, yeah, just those kind of things. <laughs> well, like I, then I, that I'm like looking for an email and I can't find it. it it's like weirdly filed somewhere. It's like, so And then, so I, I go in, I have to take a day and like unfile everything. Well, well for- the, I mean, the pace at which you bring something up, you said we tend to bring things up pretty quickly is in my experience, like one of the most important elements to, to conflict resolution, because then you don't hold on to it, which, you know, compounds the conflict pretty quickly if you don't. Yeah, I, I, I wholeheartedly agree with that. I, I think that, um, you know, even finding, you know, and, and, and the truth is, is that if you can like she and I can communicate with each other immediately and really well, we don't, there's not a, there's not, there's not much that we hold on to. Um, to be fair, like neither of us are kind of soft-spoken types as you can probably pick up by this, this your show, Pink Salt, um, is that we are, we are very much about um, voicing our opinions in the moment and everything else like that. But in, in all fairness, um, we're, we're looking for the greater good. We both have our eyes on the prize per se, and we're always trying to advance things and move things forward. And, and, you know, we're very grateful to be in the position we're in at this point. So, yeah. Where do you see it going? Like, um, is there, are there goals coming up or. I, visions? you know, we are um, just growing the podcast and, you know, we're continuing along with the podcast and that's kind of um, what we've got, you know, together for the future right now. Yeah, I think in terms of like the development, the layer of, um, you know, the next layer of exposure could be television, which we're kind of, you know, kind of dipping into at this point. 
Uh, we're also planning on going to CrimeCon coming up in late April. So we'll be able to get more exposure and awareness there. And I, I for myself, um, the next layer of advocacy, what, what that means, basically, like trying to figure out like what, what beyond the podcast can I do in order to uh, work with survivors of stalking and trying to figure that out that we can kind of use our platform um, beyond that. Because again, we're, we're able to do this now. We get a lot of accolades for that. And it's, you know, our business, what we do. But I think that even moving beyond that, um, you know, that would be really fascinating to me and to be really rewarding to be able to see what we can do next from then. Yeah. Well, on that note, uh, obviously this entire episode has been a plug for Strictly Stalking, but is there anything else specifically that you'd like to plug? I'm good. Uh, anyone can follow me on Instagram. I travel a lot, so it's mostly bikini photos. And I'm at Feather, <laughs> Feather Girl 77. Uh, in terms of plugging certain things, I, there's nothing that I have at this particular moment that I want to advertise, but I will be plugging back in with you, Jacqueline, eventually, because there's something I have, which is kind of the cross section uh, potentially between true crime and dating and relationships. Cool. What's the uh, the intersection that you're talking about between uh, stalking and relationships is well, it oh sorry I, I, I was like i can't reveal it now um i made a pack jamie and i talked about this i won't reveal it till it's time till it's fully cooked so I'll it be- has <laughs> a lot of ideas I'm, and I, it's hard to get those ideas to come into fruition sometimes so yeah. we talk about ideas once they're on the go cool mm-hmm. Like, yeah, the tra- everybody has ideas. I had ideas all night long when I was sleeping. So, wow. Can you tell me <laughs> we're here? I mean, we're here for you. Tell us, tell us what you got. No, I mean, ideas are fit. great, but you know, <laughs> only not every idea you have is going to come into fruition. So these are my dreams, Jamie. These are we, my dreams. we wait until the ideas formulate. <laughs> all right. Well, I'll be here whenever they are Look ready for that. it. <laughs> Thank you guys for, for coming on. This was really fun. Thank you. Thanks Same for having loved us. Loved it. Yeah, we enjoyed it as well. Thank you. Oh. Uh, until next time. Yes. Thank you for listening to the Pink Salt Podcast. Pink Salt is hosted.